I went into Roots Cafe the other day and I ran into a friend of mine who I happen to know is clean and sober. And he was sitting with his nephew, who I also learned is in sobriety. And I told him about our podcast, Liars, Thieves, Gluttons, and Whores. And he just loved the title and said, oh, I want that on a t-shirt. And I said, well... stories about addiction we might oh stories about recovery too mm, but mostly stories about how addiction turns smart sensitive people into liars thieves gluttons and whores liars and thieves and gluttons and whores oh liars thieves gluttons and whores oh my liars thieves gluttons and whores oh my liars thieves gluttons and whores oh my Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're on the air with me, Nancy Adair, the host and creator of Liars, Thieves, Gluttons, and Whores, the podcast that shares stories from both the dark and the light side of both addiction and recovery. And today, once again, I'm delighted to have my co-host of season two, Lori Jones, with me. And we're going to talk about how bad does it have to get? Mm. Yeah. Hello, hello, hello. I'm I, I'm really happy to be back um, talking today. I do want to just say this, though. Like, talking about the episode with Dr. Vincent, I didn't find anything funny about it. I, I, I found this particular interview... It's the dark side, Nancy. This was the dark side for me. You know, we we laughed about, you know, the naughty nun. There were so many funny things in there. I just found with Dr. Vincent that it was really dark. And and I and when I was listening, it just really made me sad um, because he he was in a really very, very dark spot. And, you um, know, I initially did that interview because I was on a summit with Dr. Vince and he was funny. And so I thought, wow, he'd make a great guest for an interview. And I used the interview, even though I too didn't think there was anything funny in the content, it was inspirational. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, looking at, wow, could you imagine being this person of his stature a doctor and standing literally standing on the railroad tracks waiting for the train to come mm. bow him down and take him off this earth and I think wow that is like you said really really dark and the fact that he's directing a treatment center in all yeah. Canada now and you know they're so lucky to have him it's it's just so black and white and not funny no not at all and and you know when he was explaining it you know I could I could visualize that I could see him 
you know, I mean, and I think that's going to stick with me a really long time is, you know, he knew what the schedule for the train was, but yet in that moment, in that moment, because he was intoxicated, but he was so desperate and so just really at his wits end about this addiction that he was standing on the train, like hoping the train would come, hoping that just a random train was going to come along and going to take his life. And, you know, just like the phrase, like waiting for the train, like, you know, I think that that is, you know, something that we all can relate to. Okay. Maybe we weren't on a train track waiting for the train, but there have been moments in addiction where something's got to give here. Like something has got to change. Right. Cause we talked about what is the, what is the definition of insanity? It's repeating the same shit over and over again and thinking somehow the outcome is going to be different. And so I think that when there's been suffering because of addiction, I think anybody can relate to the thought of waiting for the train, whether it's a train or whether, you know, it's some type of crazy intervention because the cops are going to show up or whether you've hurt somebody or you've hurt yourself. Um, you know, and, and you think about even that metaphor, like, you know, the, tra the like the train stops here, like it's got to stop, like it needs to stop somewhere. And so it is very unfortunate that he had to go through the things that he did. And I agree with you, it's inspirational. And I can't imagine how helpful that must be to to addicts that are in his treatment program to hear this and to understand like that he was there, and that there is hope. And um and it's never too late. It's never too late. Like you can get off that track, train can stop. And um, there is a better way because um, yeah, it was just, it was very compelling. You made a good point, Lori, that most everyone that gets to the place in addiction where they come to a turning point and decide to work a recovery program, whatever that looks like for them, they've hit a bottom, so to speak. And that will often does include suicidal thoughts, if not actions. And I know for myself, I didn't consider myself suicidal. And as a result of my food addiction, I remember before starting a recovery program, I had a period of my life where I was really thinking every time I was in the car on the highway about driving myself into the center of the highway, the cement. And uh, one of the things that stopped me from doing that was thinking that I could come out of that as a paraplegic and things could get worse. It was a yeah. thing though that came up repeatedly and a thought that I think was a result of, I couldn't really imagine my life as worse than it was, that it was that unmanageable. No, I, I thank you for sharing that because, you know, I will say that they have been times that I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a plan. Like I didn't have a foolproof, like, okay, this is how I would end my life. But I can definitely say that there were several times where I just thought it would just be easier if I wasn't on this earth because I was disappointing myself. I was disappointing people around me and 
yeah, it's it, it it's such a vicious cycle. You know, and 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 in that, it just doesn't seem like there is a way out. You know, and that's when you could that's when you can relate to him standing on the tracks because he's just saying, like, this is too much for me. I can't I I I can't handle this. I mean, that's that's why they call it rock bottom. Isn't you know, it doesn't get any lower than that. Just you know, or or it can get lower than that. Keep digging, honey, because it'll get it'll get worse. You're referring to one of the sayings in again in twelve step recovery that you can choose when you hit bottom. You just have to stop digging. You know, it's like mm. we create this whole um, this unmanageability in our lives ourselves. There isn't any outside force doing it to us. We're we're mm -mm. digging and deeper we're digging ourselves into a deeper and deeper hole and that can be financially it can be in broken relationships it can be with the loss of work it can be you know uh you know i i remember my first what i'll call my first bottom which was the first time i attempted to stop drinking was on the heels of watching a movie with diane keaton called looking for mr goodbar and it showed her as a young woman teaching special ed by day and going out drinking and bar hopping at night. And spoiler alert, it's a very old movie that dates me. It, she gets cut up into a million pieces by someone that she went home with. And I thought, oh, that could be me because that was exactly mm -hmm. what I was doing in my early 20s. I was working in special ed during the day and I was bar hopping and going home with men at night. And I, mm -hmm. saw, uh, I saw myself as Diane Keaton getting cut up in a bunch of little pieces and no one would know, you know, like it was mm -hmm. a horrible thought. Living on the edge, living on the edge, you know, I just, it's, it, it is. And you don't know that when you're in it, you know, you kind of look back and go, Ooh, can't believe I survived that one, you know, but you did, but we did, you know, but we got, we, we got through it into the other side. And, um, so yeah, I mean, don't you think rock bottom looks different for everybody? I mean, it's, it looks different for a lot of people. Like, I, I think, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I'll actually, I'm going to talk about somebody right now who's actually a really, really close friend of my family. And she quit drinking. And like out of the blue, she quit drinking and stopped drinking because one night she was drinking her Zinfandel or whatever it is that she was sort of over consuming on a nightly basis. And she was, she put some, you know, like, I don't know chicken nuggets and french fries in the oven for her kids and then she passed out on the couch and she burnt the french fries and she burnt the nuggets nothing else happened she just burnt the stuff that was her rock bottom that's where she said you know what i could have burnt my house down i could have burnt my house down with my children in it and i could have perished as well or, you know, anything could have happened. And that was her rock bottom and she quit drinking. That reminds oh, me yeah. of another <laughs> story that was one of the things that, again, inspired this show 
was when I heard about a woman who was asked to babysit and the couple that she was babysitting for came home early and she heard them pull in the driveway and hid her beer, the six pack that wasn't finished in their oven. Oh my word. And the woman preheated her oven the following day and the beer exploded. But it could have taken out the house, right? I mean, it, it could yeah. have been a lot worse than just beer bottles exploding in the oven. And I can't think of how awful that would be to try and clean up. That's right. And she was never asked back to sit. And I think it was, um, you know, uh, like maybe she was the grandmother and these were grandchildren. It was personal. It wasn't just um, for a friend. And mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that can be, that can be a wake up call for someone, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. Like I, I'm going to call it like it is. I'm going to tell you really how I feel about that. And I'm a little jealous that that's all it took. You know, I don't know if jealous is the word, but like, I'm a little bit envious that all it took for this woman was for her to burn dinner and she was done. Some of us learned a lot, a lot more coasting, a lot more digging and a lot more suffering, but good for her for doing that. And so, you know, something I'm very, I don't know, I'm, I'm very curious about myself and I'm very, I think, I, you know, I want to say that I'm feeling pretty passionate about are people that don't have to experience rock bottom, but are sober curious and that want to make lifestyle changes because they know the benefits of sobriety or they know the benefits of not drinking. Um, and they didn't have to go through all of this. They didn't have to wait on the track. They just know like, Hey, you know, alcohol is overrated. Um, it, you know, it can cause a lot of pain. It's not good for you. And that people are sober curious and they're making that choice without the suffering. Imagine that. I remember wow. when a, a man at the recovery center it was talking about a young woman who he referred to as having that he had scars older than she was. <laughs> you know? And they refer to that in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous too. They refer to some of the young people who didn't have to go to the lengths that we, the first hundred alcoholics who were all primarily men, right? Yes, um, yes. Before they stopped. And I think it's a good point, Laurie, that you can be curious about how good could life be without alcohol in it. And I love that mm -hmm. uh, I heard a podcast with Dr. Amen, who I've always admired. And he was asked about his consumption of alcohol. And it was on a podcast about Alzheimer's prevention. And mm. he said, um, I don't put alcohol in my body at all. And the interviewer asked him, why not? And he said, because it's a poison. <laughs> why would I? You know, and here is a neuroscientist. And mm -hmm. he also said about food, he said, I only eat foods that I love, that my body and my brain love. You know, so that was actually that actually helped me stop eating something that I really loved that was uh, so-called abstinence 
um, acceptable with the requirements of my food addiction food plan. Mm. However, my body didn't like the food, you know, didn't feel good after I ate it. And that wasn't enough until I was ready for it to be enough, you know, that I wanted to feel good more than I wanted the yummy experience of the food that I wanted my body to love it too. Mm -hmm. So I think this whole idea of sober curious that young people could choose to not drink and see if their life gets better without putting I know. in it. I think you just like you just brought up a really, really good point. And that is, you know, if you are lactose intolerant, you're not gonna eat the ice cream, you're not gonna drink milk, you're not gonna you're not gonna eat dairy because it just makes you feel lousy. Like you don't feel good. And yet alcohol, I mean, let's face it, it makes you feel like shit, people. Like it makes you feel bad. It causes more anxiety. You know, it 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 it, it really doesn't help you make great decisions. And yet people drink. I have seen people drink with pancreatitis. I've seen people drink that were on an abuse medication that made them dreadfully sick when they took alcohol in their body. I've heard stories about a woman that drank perfume at a rehab center because they didn't take it away from her. I've heard it all. And I don't think that it is as simple as if this is harmful, I can stop. People know mm -hmm. that it's killing them and they can't stop. And I mm -hmm. used to say at the recovery center that if you have an allergy to nuts or shellfish, you're not going to say, maybe I can have just a little bit of shrimp on the weekend. <laughs> no, it doesn't occur to you. And yet with addiction, I've worked with so many people and I've been there myself where Yes, my addiction came very close to killing me. You know, I, I mean, I remember driving through all the red lights and stopping at green lights because it was fun or taking the one-way streets down the wrong direction in Cambridge, Massachusetts because it was fun because I was dared to. You know, mm -hmm. those are crazy things that could have cost me my life or somebody else's life, which would be even worse to have to live with yeah that's right that's right and I guess that you know this all goes back to hoping the train will come because you're like you know we're talking through this you know and sometimes light bulbs go out from on for me but it's because I guess I mean this is where I'm landing on is the alcohol is more important than life itself it is it's that's it's, a good indicator that it's time to yeah. stop. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there it is. Just that when, yeah, the alcohol has taken the front seat of everything, you know, all the reasons and yet it's still there. I'm talking it's a lot today about my food addiction too. And that just reminded me of a time I was at a yoga retreat center and a practitioner asked me, every time I had food in front of me to ask myself the question, do I love myself more than I love this food? And I kept coming up with the answer was no. Mm, In the height wow. of addiction, I really didn't love myself more. 
then I right. loved addiction. It was that powerful. So, you know, with that said, it's an inside job. It's an in, it's an inside job and, you know, coming to that and yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard. And, you know, it needs to, it needs like, you know, that's powerful what you just said, because you have to think enough of yourself and love yourself enough to try a different way i was just gonna say quit and then i didn't say quit i'm not sure why i didn't do you yeah, remember yeah. nancy reagan's slogan just say no it's like oh say no knows that that's just not it's just not that easy it may be that simple. that's not gonna work yeah it's yeah. not that simple it's not that simple but you have to anyone you know including myself we have to want our own lives more than we want the substance, you know? And yes, and that's really where the turning point is. That's where the rock bottom is. That's when I've seen um, a couple of people older in life when they stop using and it's because they've been told by a doctor that they have to, you know, and they mm -hmm. take it seriously. I. I have often said that an addict can't be scared straight. They can't be cautioned and they can't be educated enough and they can't even want it enough. It's usually a combination of all those things plus divine intervention. Mm -hmm. Really, it gets back to one of our earlier shows when we talked about just asking for proof that a higher power exists and that that higher power can help me stay clean and sober today, which mm -hmm. is something that I say each and every morning. I almost always thank my higher power in advance. I say, thank you for this day, for my abstinence, mm -hmm. sobriety, and my way of life, because it is a way of life that's second to none once you choose life. Mm -hmm. That's it. Once you choose life. And I would just say, you know, for anyone who's listening, who might be sober curious, you know, maybe, maybe alcohol, you know, cause you know, alcohol was my vice. And so, you know, I'm speaking about alcohol, but perhaps, you know, you don't have a problem with alcohol and you haven't been digging and you haven't hit a rock bottom, but you're just curious about what life could be like without it and um what i would say is you should try you should give it a try you know i don't i don't know anybody who i don't know anyone you know whoever got up in the morning and said oh i really wish i had a hangover this morning i really wish i had more anxiety than i normally have you know um so you know, I know people who are early in sobriety and who have, who feel that impact, who feel so much better than they did before. And what I tell them is, you know, you wait like even another year, you're going to, you're going to feel even better. And then a year after that, you're going to feel even better than you did then because 
I can only speak for myself. I went through a few kind of like awkward years where it just felt awkward to me. I still like, I didn't drink, but I, I just felt awkward in it. And so after a few years, it seems like it's, it has settled, you know, and it just become, it has become my way of life. Um, and it takes time. So it's like, if, if, if you're newly sober and you're listening and you feel good today, I'm so happy for you, but you're going to feel so freaking good you know, six months from now, you're going to feel better a year from now. And so that's worthy of being curious about and wanting to know how to do that. Cause I believe people want to live their best lives. And so, you know, that's why I like podcasts like this, where, you know, somebody might hear this and it just might be the day where they say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. Thank you, Lori. All right. Another conclusion to liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Please subscribe to our podcast channel and tell your friends. Do you suppose we'll hear stories about addiction? We might. Oh. Stories about recovery, too? Mm, but mostly stories about how addiction turns smart, sensitive people into liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Liars? And thieves? And gluttons and whores. Oh, liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Are you a fan of Liars, Thieves, Gluttons, and Whores podcast? Do you want to support the show and show off your love for LTGW? Look no further than You Can Do Merch Store, brought to you by host and creator Nancy Adair. Thank <laughs> you.